Welcome back to The Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harris III. I am really excited about today's episode. Let's be honest. I always say that. I'm excited about every single episode because we're always giving you good stuff. However, this one is twice as good because it is a twofer. What do I mean by that? We've got two different segments from two different conversations for you. They blend together perfectly. Uh, You'll see what I mean here in just a second. Um, You're going to get to hear first from a conversation that happened on the Story 2022 stage live with Chris Wall and Andrew Peterson, Um, two amazing creators and storytellers in their own right, but through a cool partnership between each other and a whole bunch of other uh, people on a team of awesomeness have been cranking away, turning an amazing book series called The Wing Feather Saga um, into something really cool coming to screens near you. But they are doing that by way of one of the most creative models I've ever seen in partnership with Angel Studios. And I was so intrigued by the model and format of how they're delivering and distributing the Wing Feather Saga series um, that I sat down with our friends at Angel Studios and like, please explain. They're just doing really cool stuff, and you, as a community of storytellers, need to know about it. So first, you're going to hear from Chris and Andrew. Andrew Peterson is the creator and executive producer behind the Wing Feather Saga series. He wrote the best-selling books. He's also a musician, an artist, multidisciplinary artist, all-around amazing guy. Chris Wall has a long history with lots of creative projects under his belt, spent some time at DreamWorks, worked on VeggieTales, um, an amazing blockbuster series, um, has been a part of a whole bunch of other stuff, and now, of course, also working on the Wing Feather Saga. These two have created not just an incredible series for families, but they really did go about it in a unique way, and I believe that it can be an inspiration for many of you who are listening to me right now as you work on your own stories and get that work out into the world. So first up, without any hesitation, let's go back to the Story 2022 stage and listen to this conversation with Chris and Andrew. Right? It's good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, please keep that applause going. Help me welcome to the stage executive producer Chris Wall and musician, author, all-around extraordinary guy that can do just about anything, Mr. Andrew Peterson. Would you please welcome him to the story stage? <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I just realized you're like just an executive producer when I introduced Andrew. <laughs> I was like, this guy can do anything, but you make really great films he and can, TV He series. can juggle. Can he really? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> Don't ask me. Uh, why don't we just go off stage and let him take it from here? Sure. Be, yeah. Yeah, great with me. Give me a hat. <laughs> I'm really grateful that you guys are here. Just a little context. Uh, just to be clear, you're not looking for additional investment from the story community, right? <laughs> no, no, thank you. Yeah, it's all yeah. right. So this video, a little bit of playback. We'll get back to it in just a second. Um, but I, I wanted you guys to become aware of this really cool project. Um, not so that you go watch it. I know you're going to want to watch it later. But the reason these guys are here uh, is because the pathway to getting this story told, to me, has been so inspirational. It's been out of the box. It's been super creative. And I hear from so many of you all the time, different members of the story community, um, they're just like, I have this story. It's been in my heart. I've been trying to tell it, and I don't know how to make sure and ensure that it is told. And this project has that kind of story, and it's going to be super inspiring to you. Um, let's just start with what is the Wing Feather Saga? Because it did not start as a TV series. It right? did not. No, it's a, it's a four-book fantasy adventure series that I wrote over the course of about 10 years. So my uh, main job is I'm, I 
singer-songwriter and uh, came to Nashville 25 years ago and, you know, do music. And some, like, after my second record, I think, I was, I told my wife, uh, uh, I was like, I'm having a hard time picturing myself as a 60-year-old still playing music, but I could picture myself as a grandpa writing novels. That sounds kind of <laughs> awesome. So I, uh, I had been wanting to write books for my whole life and thought, um, this is my chance to tr give it a shot. And I think I had learned a little bit about creative practices and, like, how to push through the difficult parts of a project um, through the music part of what I do, you know, making a record, writing songs, so that when I sat down to try to write the book, I recognized some of those pitfalls and was able to just kind of like balance my life between making a record one year and then writing a book the next until I finished the thing. Yeah, yeah. it's really admirable. I, it's, honestly, it's inspiring to me. I think I, I've also struggled with the, wait, you're not that, you're this. Like, mm. you're a magician. Why, why are you producing conferences? Wait, you're this. Now you're off doing this. Mm. Did, was, were there naysayers? Were they like, Andrew, yeah. stick to music, man. You're good at music. Why are you, what's this? I, I, I heard Chris is actually one of these people. Like, he tells the story when I gave him a copy, because I, uh, you knew me through my music first. When I gave him a copy of the first book when it came out, he was kind of like, oh, neat. Another well, one of those guys who wrote one of those books. Yeah, I'm not going to read and that. And I knew you through your music because he'd written some songs for VeggieTales. <laughs> so that, that also is a different paradigm than your other music too yeah. and yeah he handed me that first book in 08 here read this I knew I'd see him again so it's this oh, I gotta read this you know it'd be weird <laughs> and so my oldest three were like alright we gotta sit down and read this book from Mr. Peterson and we fell in love with it like just like whoa he's actually a good writer you know and it's like it, it was it's not, not like unlike when Steve Martin said I'm gonna play banjo and we're like yeah. oh and do jokes you know and it's yeah. like no this multidisciplinarian thing it was hard and I just fell in love with the series and mm -hmm. was like shocked that it's a really incredible bit of literature. Yeah. You know, the, the, the wordplay and, and just the storycraft that he brought uh, was incredible to go along yeah. with that journey. Thank yeah. you. I was going to say, the, uh, the, when young authors have come to me and been kind of like, hey, how does the publishing world work? What do I do? My, my snarky answer is, well, first you have to have like a 20-year music career <laughs> and, and have a merch table every night you know, at your concerts that the publisher is like, well, even if the book's terrible, we know we can sell some at his shows. You know? <laughs> so I, that's kind of was my way in. I was just kind of doing this other stuff. And my music is, tends to be story-focused, so there was enough of a correlation to where it worked. Um, but man, it's been the coolest thing. It's been such a journey. And then, you know, getting to write some silly songs uh, was hilarious. My parents were more impressed by that than anything else I've ever done. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, met Chris, and, and you had read The Wingfeather Saga, and I had just finished the whole series, the four books, and I, I had seen Avatar The Last Airbender. My kids were huge fans, and I was just like, man, like serial storytelling would be way cooler than a film because we can really like stretch out and tell the whole thing. So I talked to you about it and six years ago mm -hmm. and we took the leap. Yeah, yeah, so you wrote book number one. Yeah. That was sort of this like, I don't know what this is gonna turn into. And then it got picked up by a bigger publisher. It just kept kind of growing a life of its own. Yeah. Um, where in the series did Chris step in and be like, Let's, let's start working together on this TV um, series. I can't remember exactly when it was. Toward the end, right? Yeah, summer 15. So Andrew had done a Kickstarter for the fourth book to make a really cool hardcover version, and I was like backer number two. You know, like I was so excited about this at that point because I was like, I want to see where the story finishes. Much like any of us that are involved in story, there's a place where you want a really good conclusion, not like Lost. And when I... <laughs> <laughs> so he had woven this tale, and I was like, this is better finish well. And so book four, I just ugly cried with my kids trying to read it. They're like, Dad, go. I can't. This is, like, so strong. And um, 
So in 15, I was finished my time with, with VeggieTales and was like, all right, what's next? And spent some time kind of like figuring that out and praying about it and was like, Andrew, I think we should partner together. I didn't want to option the rights. A lot of producers, you go, hey, I'll have the rights. And then you go make the thing you want to make and the author's like, oh, horrified. Um, I was like, what if we like did this together? And, and so we did. We partnered, created Shining Isle Productions. You saw our little logo a minute ago. And we're like, let's go make this great story together and started, what would it look like? And the first stop was, what would it look like? Because a lot of us have seen really cheap animation, and it's pretty offensive to the eyeballs, right? And we were like, let's not do that. We don't want to be a cheap something. Could we be interesting? Like just now, a guy with a hat entertained a whole room of people. That's amazing. Like take that, what is, what is the craft that we could find and do something? So we came up with this idea of this CG animation uh, with 2D and make it feel handcrafted. And what would that look like at our good friend Keith Lango, who is an animation genius uh, up in Spokane, Washington, uh, helped us to make a short film. And that kind of started the conversation, uh, which was immediately met with resistance. So when you make something new artistically, people go, mm, slow your roll. And so we showed this short film and everywhere, Netflix, Amazon, Paramount, everybody, like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. But this kind of paint motion stuff, we're not into it. We think everybody wants Pixar. We're like, yeah, we think there's a glut happening. And then Spider-Verse came out. And it was like, yes. And so we got the chance to now take the series forward with that same stuff that you guys saw a little clip of. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe speak to just the timing of that, because that reminds me that sometimes we're, we're trying to push something across the finish line. We're trying to get people to believe in it. It's no, 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 no. The Spider-Man thing happens. It validates for better or for worse. You know, it's annoying that it took Spider-Man to validate it, right? It's like we were there, right? We, you could have just said yes to us instead. Um, but then all of a sudden the right timing came around. How do we trust that timing? How do you keep pushing through? Is it just keep believing and believing and believing? <laughs> Man, I, uh, that's a great question. I don't know. It's super hard, you yeah. know, like the, to have some idea that you just are convinced is gonna work. I remember, I think it was Bob Goff that was telling me about how like, you know, you, you run like four horses and when one pulls ahead, you kind of like get on that one. And so you, you let's kind of, you spin a lot of plates and yeah. you believe in a lot of different things and then when one of them starts to eke out there, I'm like, oh yeah, cool, that, that one's actually working. And that's kind of how this one was in some ways. It's like we were trying all these different things and then one day, I mean, it was Angel Studios really was the thing that unlocked it for us, but it was a six year journey to get to that point. Um, and a lot of discouragement, a lot of uh, thinking, is this a good idea? Like, Chris, don't give up on the project. Like, I believe well, we yeah, can do this. So that, which is the night Andrew came over with Blue Bell ice cream because Netflix had told us no again. And it was like, well, sitting here in my sackcloth and ashes at the gates of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right about then that I had this... With like, ice cream. Yeah, with ice cream. Blue Bell, thank you. Uh, and right about then that I had this, like, epiphanal thing. I'm slow. I'm super slow. So I just want to be an encouragement to all of you in the market. I am so slow. I am not that smart. I just slowly come to it. And then it's, like, a really good idea. But it takes... A, it's... You should do time lapse at my office. It's like embarrassing. But I had this epiphanal of like, wait, if Netflix takes up the series, they're going to take the IP and then hire us to make the show with no upside. 20% premium on your thing. That's it. I'm like, that's a, that's a bad deal. We should do something else. <laughs> and so we had a mutual friend that approached us in early 20s, like, hey, have you seen this chosen thing? You know, I was like, hey, man, I've seen plenty of Jesus Disciple stuff. I'm good. And he's like, no, no, they got a weird distribution model. And so that introduced us to Angel Studios. And so I downloaded the app and forced my kids to watch this thing together. It was really funny. Um, and they actually liked it. And then, but the app experience of like, oh, it's like 
community video. Like we're all supporting this content and making it. This was like Andrew and I'm like, oh yeah, we know that space. Like that's this, the fans that have been around this series and all that. What could we do to activate that community? Well, here was a path forward. Because even then you can make stuff, right? And nobody sees it. It's on some Vimeo channel that you're having to pay a subscription fee to hold on to, you know? Uh, or there's a way to get it out to people. And so Angel presented this way to get it out that was kind of this democratized, like, free content in the world. And they were really inspired by uh, Epic Games, you know, with Fortnite. Like, let you come in for free. You don't have to pay at the door. And if you have a good time, there's a tip jar on the way out, right? Like that guy that just did the hat thing. If there was a tip jar at the end, but if, I, if you had to pay to come in here, you might not. But if there's a tip jar at the end because you had this great experience, that's the idea here. So what if our content is free and people, if they love it, now that puts a pressure on us to make a great story, of which I have great confidence because the story is great, right? Yeah. So it's this really cool system. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that very unique model for a second because when I found out about this, I was so fascinated by it. The idea of Angel Studios, of having these sort of like angel investors that yeah. are getting a project off the ground. Because if, if, if you're showing it to people for free and then trusting that people are going to drop money in the hat, how do you make the project to begin with? Well, and Andrew, this is his leadership, honestly, because he had done the Kickstarter for the book, and it was the number one published thing on Kickstarter at the time. Like, it just blew all kinds of records. It was amazing. And he said, hey, we should do that same thing for a short film. And I was like, yeah, people aren't going to give us money for a short film. And he's like, no, we should do it. And so I believed in the crowd, right? It's believing in, like, people like you that have good taste to say, no, you should make that. It should exist in the world, right? And so we set a record there, and $265,000 over that campaign. It was amazing. Uh, and then this provided the next thing. And so we've raised, last year we raised $5 million that people bought shares in our company through that platform, through RegCF. If you want to know more about it, I can tell you later. Uh, and we were able to create season one, which is on its way out. And now viewers get to participate in continuing that journey with us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you made, the, let's, so the timeline of the video we just saw, when was that made? That's what you raised the $5 million with? Yeah, basically. the pitch video, which is so critical, people. So we had this great pitch at Amazon, and um, it's okay if I tell It was this. not a great pitch at <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> I'm like, I've got a director, I've got myself, I've got Andrew, the author. We sit down across this executive, and he goes, all right, tell me about Wingfeather. And I, I go... This was like... Uh, I should probably warn you guys, there's a massive group from Amazon. Yeah, here. no, no, so it was great. Just no, I, just, I just completely froze. <laughs> I turned into an eighth grader, it and was I was just <laughs> like, well, there's these kids and like a dragon, and... and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was a classic. We walked out of the room. You have your 20 minutes, right? This is your moment. We rehearsed, to be clear. But we walked out, Andrew goes, can we do that again? I'm like, I don't think we can. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, let us in. And so, anyways, it, it, telling your story. And so we had seen, have you guys seen the poopery or purple mattress campaigns back in the day, you know? <laughs> so that's an a, a agency out of Utah called Harmon Brothers Agency. And I was like, we have to call them. Can they help us make a video? And I hunted them a long time. <laughs> and then they made that video you saw with the bard uh, and helped us tell our story. Like, what are the key things about this story? Because it's a subtle story that's, like, hard to connect dots on, right? And... Uh, Getting people to come alongside, see the vision of what we had, which they did, so thankfully, and helped us make that really funny video uh, that told our story to a wider audience, right? Uh, and that was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so now we're in the phase where you're working towards release. It's releasing in December, yep. correct? December 2nd. On the Angel Studios platform, yep. which is super cool. One of the things we talked about a few weeks ago that I really loved is, um, you know, they're about 
sharing stories that amplify light, whatever that looks like according to the, explain the Angel Studios model briefly. There's a massive board of people that are just like, we want this. This is awesome. Yeah, they believe in the power of the crowd. They believe that people, given the opportunity, you know, can support things and can say what they like and don't like, right? And so they have a jury system, basically people who've invested with them or, or been a part of that, that can look at content that is being pitched, right? So our little short film, they would look at, and the jury will say, oh yeah, that should be made. Or, mm, no good, and here's why. And that creator gets that feedback, right? And, and the stuff that makes it through gets to be put on the platform and, and go for funding and that kind of thing. And again, community support, right? So it's about engagement with the audience. I've talked to other creators who are like, I'm not interested in uh, nurturing a community of audience. Okay, this is not your platform. You should go to Netflix, <laughs> right? Uh, because they just want to drop their project off and peace out. Uh, we were interested in nurturing community, so it's a great fit for us where that yeah. conversation could continue. Yeah, but your ability to do that, I think, is anchored in you knowing we know who this is for, right? This is yeah. a unique project, a story. We know who this is for. Talk about I think that so. I, well, I mean, that's, that's how music works. It's like, if you want to be a singer-songwriter and go out and do shows, like, you're constantly figuring out who your audience is, you know, you're, you want to be true to the art that you've, you've been feel called to, to make, but at the same time, you're very conscious of how much you need these people sitting out in the audience to make this thing go, you know? Um, whereas I don't think that's typical for um, filmmaking or whatever. It's like when you're, you're interacting very closely and personally with those people. And so I had a strong sense of who this community was and what they were hungry for because I'm kind of a part of that community. You know, I'm one of those people that's like, why aren't there more shows like this? Why well, I want to see a show like this. We should make this thing. So. Um, I forgot what the original question was, but... Uh, you knew who this was for. Well, the audience yeah. tells us, right? I mean, just like for a live performance, the audience tells you what songs they like, right? And in our case, the story resonated, and we knew what resonated with that story. And because of, you know, crowdfunding and those things, mm -hmm. they tell you even more, like, this is what I'm into. This is what I'm most excited about in the story. So then as producer, making the series with Andrew is like, okay, I, we know what elements of the story we get to um, heighten and, and make sure we're delivering on and not miss in our adaptation. Yeah. It's super cool. You guys are up to amazing things. I can't wait for it to come out. Um, the Angel Studios team is here somewhere. Uh, I saw a few of them yesterday. There's Brad. Oh, you guys have enough t-shirts on. Say Angel Studios. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. These guys are awesome. Uh, yeah. Th thank you for giving a platform to really cool projects like this that everyone else seems to say no to, right? Yeah, and also I want to say, someone asked yesterday, it's angels as in angel investor money, not angels as in wings. So, <laughs> to be clear. Clear yeah. delineation, yeah. clear delineation. Um, Andrew, what is your, this, this was, this started inside of you, you started however many years ago writing that first book. Fast forward to today, this is happening, it's coming out. Five million dollars is no joke to create a really beautiful series. Um, how's that feel? It, it, it's the, it's, there's these kids and like a dragon. Uh, I just, I've wanted to do this since I was a little kid. Like I, I grew up in the eighties, you know, watching Spielberg movies and like some film and story and comic books, all that stuff was always a part of my uh, imagination. And so to like, there's so many times my wife and I look at each other like, can you believe we get to do this? It's such a rare gift. And just yesterday I got to go speak to a group of kids uh, and they were, you know, a bunch of eight or nine year old kids that had all these questions about the ending of the books and like, can a toothy cow kill a fang and who would win in a battle between a whatever. And, and I just am like right there for it. I'm like, oh man, yes, I will sit on the floor. And the eighth grader Andrew is very much alive. Um, and so uh, I just am delighted. I'm so thankful for, to Chris, to the Angel Studios guys, to the 
to the fans out there who have made it happen. I just can't wait till December 2nd because I don't think anybody realizes how really beautiful it is going to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really is gorgeous. I've seen the footage and it's amazing. How many of you guys are excited to watch it? Yeah? yeah. Um, is there anything that we've not covered in our time together here on stage that you're just like, I really want this room, this community of storytellers to know? I think it's really important for storytellers to really grasp what is happening in the industry technologically, what are the things that I think are barriers to what I want to make as a craft? And what could you, like the guy with the hat, that is high craft and yet simple, right? I think a lot of us have barriers. Having worked, I worked at DreamWorks Animation for three years. We have people with like amazing PhDs making pixels that are beautiful, right? Uh, you can't compete with that. Find a lane that you can own. I think it's so critical. I think a lot of us are in like, well, I want to be like Zootopia. Like you can't be Zootopia. Like they, they own that space. What is your lane you could own that is different? Now, that's going to come with a lot of costs and challenges. And so behind me, this is all coming out through Unreal Engine, right? Uh, that was one of the huge ahas for us is, hey, there's some technology that's just emerged that could be a bit of a disruptor, that could level the playing field and give us an advantage. Not to make pixel perfect stuff like this. Ours is more brushstrokes and handcrafted. Uh, but what could it look like to honor the artist in that way and own a lane? I think that's always so critical. So much of us, we want to do like the cheaper version of. I'm sorry, but people know you're driving a Kia. It's not exactly a Mercedes, right? And so that cheap version is kind of often reduced craft, and it hurts your eyeballs. And, and honor the craft simply. Like, what does it look like in, in your space to tell that story with the tools available to you and tell it really well? That's what I would say. Yeah. Can I say something? Sure. I would just say, think of the story that you're telling and the art that you're trying to make as a way to love people. And, and then it doesn't really matter how successful or not successful it is. You can, you can stay in your lane and do the thing for many, many years and see the fruit of the work that you've done because kind of love is what is bearing that fruit. And then along the way, there will be these little blips where you're like, oh, wow, it worked. Check it out. We got to make a thing. But if it hadn't worked, I still would be so grateful to have written the story, you know? Did you catch what Andrew said at the end of that interview? Man, that was a mic drop moment on stage at Story this year. He said, what if we just made art because we want to love people well? What a cool mindset. And I believe it's a mindset we can all learn to leverage and use as we navigate our work and our passions. Uh, and it's going to have a long lasting impact if we are approaching our work as a way of loving people. So cool. And to be honest, the entire wing feather saga journey, it's just incredible. It's an amazing body of work and something I think we can all learn from and be inspired by, which is why I also reached out to our friends at angel studios. I was like, guys, you got to give us this take. This wing feather saga distribution thing is totally unique. The way it's funded is totally creative and unique. Please tell us more. And so I got to sit down with Jordan Harmon, the co-founder and CEO of Angel Studios. Um, and we talked a little bit about how they're bringing Wingfeather to life, but more importantly, just about Angel's overall business model, how they are turning people into these sort of angel investors, creating ownership behind series, giving them the opportunity to pay it forward. It's a really cool business model that's getting creative on behalf of creators like you. So from creative models for financing to helping you through the process of getting your ideas off the ground through something they call torches, these people have some really cool ideas, very unique. There are people, trust me, in Hollywood that are paying very close attention to what they're doing because they're, they're disrupting the common distribution model, the common funding model. It's just totally different. So I can't wait for you to have the curtain peeled back 
on that process. So listen in to my conversation with Jordan from Angel Studios. All right, excited to jump into this with our friends from Angel Studios. Today we have Jordan with us. Jordan, let's just start first things first. Tell us a little bit more about your role at Angel Studios. Yeah, so my, my role is uh, pretty simple. I'm, I'm the president of Angel Studios and one of the co-founders, and I'm responsible for all the marketing initiatives that are happening within Angel Studios, but also all the relationships of the new creators that are coming into our ecosystem because we're getting dozens and dozens uh, on a monthly basis who are just pouring in, uh, wanting to work with us in some way, shape, or form. And so uh, my teams uh, help navigate and guide the creators through our very unique model to help them tell their stories to the world. Yeah. So tell their stories to the world. You guys say that you like to tell stories that, let me make sure I get this right. Is it Amplify Light? Yeah. Our mission is to tell stories that amplify light throughout the world. Yeah. So what in the world does that mean? Because there's people out there, they hear that and they go, okay, is this like a bait and switch? Like, is this, (laughs) Um, or what you mean as light might be different than what I mean as light. Let's just address it. What do you you mean by amplify light? So here's the interesting thing about that question. Let me, let me take a step back and, and talk through angels model as a whole. So there's a book called the wisdom of crowds, and it talks about the power of the crowds being able to make decisions um, if done in in a proper sandbox and where they can't influence each other. And it gives an example of this statistician who is trying to prove that the decisions of society should only be made by the elite. And so he spends years going through this process. He goes to this fair, there's this cow up on the top of this stand, and anybody can guess the way to the cow, and the closest guess wins this big prize. So he collects all the responses and um, of all the responses, no one's even really that close. And so he's like, yeah, this shows that, you know, the crowd, the, the regular people, the day-to-day people, they can't make decisions. Only the elite can make decisions for the world. And then he looked at the data a little differently. He averaged it out across all the crowd and all the responses. And the, the, the average weight was one pound off from the actual weight of the cow. And the, and the interesting thing about this and to your question of what does Amplify Light mean? is we require that every creator bring into our ecosystem what we call a torch. And a torch is, think of it as like a short film or a pilot episode or a piece of content that shows your vision for what you're trying to create. And then the crowd, we have tens of thousands, I think is coming up on 70,000 and growing, who are what are called guild members. These guild members, the Angel Guild, they get to they actually judge and rate each piece of content on whether they think it amplifies light, one, and two, how would they feel if it was never made into a TV series or a film for Angel Studios? If they can get past this massive amount of people where you have the majority of them saying, yes, this amplifies light throughout the world, which we define in there as whatever is true, lovely, worthy of praise, admirable, um, good value content, we don't want to go in and define like every scenario and every type of scene and every type. Because to your point, amplifying light can mean so many different things. Yeah. But when we take the whole community as a whole, we found that they make extremely powerful decisions and they make them really well. Another example of this is like, you remember, do you remember the um, the TV, non-scripted TV series, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Of course. Where they like, guess their answers up to a million dollars. Well, they had three lifelines, right? And there was the, you know, ask, uh, ask the audience. There was ask an expert or a friend. And there was 50-50. 
the expert got it right anywhere between 60 and 70% of the time, which is pretty compelling. The audience got it right 91% of the time, right? They just were spot on on hitting what their act, the right answers were. And so we believe that the wisdom of crowds and that the crowd will do a better job of dictating what amplifies light throughout the world as a whole than any individual can by themselves, right? And so that's really our model is, is we want to we wanna change how the development process works, how projects get greenlit to where it's the people who are actually consuming your product who get to decide what product gets made. We believe that's the best way to handle it. Yeah. So let's also, because I, I, there's some people out there going, it sounds a lot like Kickstarter. Let's just address that. <laughs> uh, why is yeah. this different from crowdfunding or like the Kickstarter GoFundMe type platforms? Yeah. So the unique part of Angel's model is once you get through that guild and you're and, and Angel's now helping you do what we call a crowdfunding campaign, this is not a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign where you get a nice shirt or a souvenir or something of that sort. People on the Angel Funding platform, which is an SEC-regulated platform, it's a separate entity that actually licenses our name, they are able to go and crowdfund with our help. Uh, we assist these creators in crowdfunding their production budgets, and they're actually able to go and sell off equity in their entity. So, for example, you know, The Chosen, it went with their, sh- the, their torch was called The Shepherd. It was this short 20-minute nativity, beautiful, beautiful torch. They were able to raise $10 million dollars. And, uh, and now they're, you know, pacing really, really well to hopefully give those investors an incredible return on their investment. So so you're not just getting a t-shirt, the investors are actually receiving a return on their investment, um, which is really, really powerful. And so, um, we look at this and we say, Hollywood usually looks at the industry and says, here's a story, will it make money? And then they'll spend $50 million on production budget and $50 million on marketing. And then they hope people show up to the theater to watch their show or their film. And and the problem with that of saying, let's spend a ton of money up front and hope people show up is we're saying you need to flip those things on their head. And what you need to say is, does this story actually have an audience? And we do that through them building a torch, going through the guild process of the guild saying yes or no. And then the crowd coming in and actually putting their money where their mouth is. They're not just saying yes or no. They're actually putting in investment into your project. And so this beautiful process allows for a more um, symbiotic relationship. Sorry, this little earpiece is falling out. Um, a little symbio- a better symbiotic relationship between the creator and their audience. And the creator is tapped into knowing exactly what the audience wants to see and hear from their product, giving it a higher likelihood of success. Yeah, not just higher likelihood of success. It just feels like a much more efficient use of resources in general. Like just, <laughs> just like remove the film business out of the equation and just... How do we as human beings leverage the resources of the planet in a more effective, wise way when it comes to a stewardship um, conversation? It's like, okay, cool. So basically you are, sounds like risk-free from ever making something that nobody wants to see. And it feels like Hollywood regularly makes stuff that no one wants to see. (laughs) Yes, you are not wrong by that. Um, the, uh, matter of fact, I, I'm always reminded of the quote from the director of, uh, uh, I think it was called Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe, uh, you know, kind of scandalous, uh, NC-17 that was made that one of the, uh, uh, I can't remember which news outlet it was, asked the director, Hey, you know, this is pretty heavy and graphic. What if the audience doesn't get it or, uh, doesn't, you know, resonate with what you're doing? He says, oh, this is such a beautiful piece of art. If the audience doesn't get it, F the audience, right? Like, 
Yeah. And, uh, and that's such a weird mentality to have where it's like, no, no, you have to create something that brings value to the world and that people want to um, reciprocate that value, whether it's monetarily or with their time or their energy, their, their eyes. Um, and so, um, I, you know, nothing's risk-free, right? You always can create something, you know, a creator could go and, and, and create a, a, sign- a really powerful torch and then create a horrible TV series. That's always a possibility, right? Yeah. But we do believe that these mechanisms allow for um, a higher probability of success, especially when you look at Hollywood as a whole, 80% of projects fell in Hollywood, um, between 80 and 90%. And we're saying, we believe that we can flip that pretty significantly on its head and, and it's to be determined as to how much, but we believe that through this community syndication process where the community is actually the ones validating the idea, investing in the idea, and then pushing your idea, they're like your marketing arm where they're just pushing it throughout the world you're going to have a much higher probability of success. But our model goes even beyond that. Like there's how it gets developed, how it gets greenlit, but then how it gets distributed is completely unique as well. In that angel, we took a bet on our company back in 2019 where we were starting our studio uh, uh, or at least really pushing into our studio. We had started years before, but um, we really decided that we wanted to model what we were doing off of the gaming industry. So if anybody of your listeners are familiar with the gaming industry, they have like Fortnite and Roblox and these games that launched in 2015, 2016 that are free. And they launched high quality games that are on par with anything else and they're completely free. And people start going, hold on a sec. How the heck are you guys (laughs) going to make money? What is going on here? And they created monetization uh, mechanisms inside of their ecosystems to where people can buy skins and maps and uh, uh, elements inside the game to get a richer community experience, but it's not required. You can still participate without doing that. And they exploded. You know, normal video games back in the day would get, if they were super popular, between 5 and 20 million monthly active users. Fortnite on a regular basis gets 160 monthly active users. And they generate between 4 and $6 billion a year on a free game. Yeah. And so we, in 2019, said we believe the gaming and the, the film and inter- our entertainment industry in the film world is about five years behind where the gaming industry was. And so in 2019, we launched a free model where we made all of our content free. And, uh, and then we created uh, Pay It Forward where you can pay it forward so other people can watch your content and make more episodes. You can buy NFTs and merchandise and you can participate in the community in really rich uh, and enlightening ways. And when we launched this, our growth curve just went through the roof. I mean, 2020 was massive, generating over 47 million in revenue. And then in 2021, um, we ended up doing almost 130 million across all of our projects. And so this growth curve has been extremely compelling and powerful because we're seeing that when you have great content and you give it to people in a frictionless free experience to where they can consume it, they'll reward you. They will pay you back. Um, and, and you have, and you can create mechanisms to, to monetize those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to kind of your model here in just a second, but I want to dig in first, if you're willing to something you just said, cause it's so relevant to every single storyteller, regardless of what platform, what medium, whether you're a painter, speaker, writer, photographer, whatever. And it was actually a great example of that director is like, if they don't understand it, that's on them. Right. It's really hard for that director to make the next movie. You know, there's this famous 
quote from Walt Disney who said, I make movie, movies to make money so I can make more movies, right? That's and exactly so if, right. If it's not That's commercially exactly right. successful, it's easy to go, oh, it was a form of self-expression or whatever. Yep. There's nothing wrong with expressing yourself through your art. But if it's not commercially viable, we're never going to have the resources we need to make more art. Um, and so kind of speak to that a little bit. Like how how much do we need to care about the commercial success? Because I know you guys are values driven. You care about meaning. I mean, your entire company is built around the idea of telling stories that amplify light. But yet a lot of people who have been um, like entirely values driven in the past, they don't care about the commercial success of the project or whether it actually finds an audience. They just want to make sure like, I guess it's the equivalent of flying, shining like a super high end LED flashlight right into someone's face. It's like, they didn't yep. like that. Well, who cares? I still amplified light. <laughs> that makes sense. Is that metaphor resonating yeah. at all? Yeah, I yeah. totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So what do That's you, what do you have to say? Uh, like pass some wisdom on to all the storytellers out there listening here. Like, uh, I don't make this stuff for people. I make it for me. How do we live and lean into that tension of creativity and commerce? So that, man, that is a beautiful question. So um, there's a book called The User Method that's really, really powerful. And it talks through, you know, different tech startups throughout history that have built a product. The founders built a product for themselves, right? They wanted something that really satisfied their needs to a very extreme extent. <clears throat> so for example... Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg wanted to, um, you know, have a social media platform where he felt like he could um, be on a level playing field and, and socialize with people throughout the world and connect people, connect with people throughout the world. And, you know, people would make arguments as to whether Facebook has been meaningful or helpful to the world or not is another matter. But, um, but Airbnb, for example, the founders of Airbnb were starting a completely different startup and they were running out of money and they turn around and they they were, there was a conference in, I believe, San Diego or some part of LA. And so they threw out and they noticed all the hotels were booked out. And so they threw up on Craigslist uh, a listing saying, hey, come rent out an air mattress. And so they rent out a bunch of air mattresses over the weekend and it pays for their rent that month. And they're like, man, this is fascinating. We need money on the side to start our thing we love. Let's start leaning into this to start the thing we love. And, and ironically, they ended up starting a totally different company called Airbnb, which is now massive. And, uh, and so the user method, you know, we created uh, as founders of Angel Studios, created Angel Studios with the desire to solve a problem that we felt in the marketplace and that we saw that our families and our kids, we didn't like the direction the entertainment was going and the way it was pushing culture. And so we thought, you know what, we can either complain about it for the rest of our lives or we can do something about it. And so, you know, that was the user method of creating Angel Studios. And so when a creator is going, I've got this vision of what I want for my product, what I want for my TV series or my film that'll satisfy my needs. And Quentin Tarantino actually said this, and I've talked about him twice now, but he said, <clears throat> you know, the best filmmakers are the ones who look around the world and say, I would love to see a show about this, but I haven't seen it yet. And, they, and, and then they go about developing that show. There's a balance though, right? What we think sometimes is the ideal product for ourselves based on our biases is not always accurate, right? And, and as we test our way through that, <clears throat> we find that with some slight tweaks and modifications, it'll still be the satisfaction to our needs, but now have broader market satisfaction for other people as well. And so when filmmakers and storytellers are going into telling their stories, that's something they should keep in mind is, 
how do I satisfy my need while making this and 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 crafting this product to where it is gaining broader and broader appeal to the world? Because to your point, if you create a story that no one resonates with, you're never going to be able to fund or create a story again. And so one of the beautiful parts about having a lifeline into your community with Angel's model is that you're in this world where you can directly communicate with your audience and show them your screenplays and your animatics and your, you know, early access to content pieces to start iterating on what you're doing. Because again, you want to create something that's beautiful for you and that fulfills the need you have as a user and an experiencer of this, of this product. But you also want to do it in a way that resonates with the broader audience. And that can be something that will spread and help you tell your next story. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. I need to go check out that book. Um, it's a great book. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, what about all the people who don't have a community already? They don't have this massive audience built out. I hear that a lot from authors, especially like, Hey, turn in a proposal didn't even get considered by the publisher. And in their rejection letter, it said, you know, you don't have a big enough audience. Um, you know, I think sometimes these models can get a little bit of flack. I'm sure you've heard it because it's like, well, yeah, it's easy for that group because they've got a million followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They could crowdsource it and then fund it and put it on a platform and they already had a built-in audience. How are you guys navigating some of that to ensure that the right stories get told? That's a that's another great question. <laughs> you, you really can't prepare to these questions. Um <laughs> Just some softballs. You know, I, yeah, just some softballs here. Just <laughs> lob them in there. The um, So when you think about audience development, that is one of the most difficult parts of storytelling. So <clears throat> um, studios are pretty lazy about audience development. They either want to stumble upon a franchise or buy one. Um, and so... One or of the things that I always an old one, <laughs> and or revive an old one. That's exactly right. There's a lot of a lot of that happening around, and uh, and so one of the things I tell filmmakers all the time is, is um, with the with the modern era of uh, technology and the ability to connect directly or or to publish a website or connect directly to your things. One of the things that was really powerful about you know the Wing Feather Saga, for example. Uh, their TV series is launching on December 2nd um, in the Angel app. One of the really powerful things about them is they had built up an audience and an ecosystem on the wingfeather.com where they were selling books. And so now obviously they ended up getting a publisher, but they didn't get a publisher right out of the gates. Mm -hmm. They started going and telling their story and, 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 uh, and getting it directly to the consumer. And so I know that that doesn't help a lot of, of, of creators, but, uh, in or storytellers and saying, well, how do I start that? And, and the best way to start that is to start telling your story now, right? Um, content is king when it comes to storytelling and when it comes to audience building. And if you can start producing and pumping out content, whether you end up creating a Facebook page or a website or whatever it is, um, and you start putting out this content on a regular basis, your audience will start to grow and there are tons of strategies and things that you can do to make that as optimal as possible, which we won't go into today, but it's all about getting your voice out there. Um, every project we do starts at zero. We launch the project. It has no eyeballs, no, but like David, the David movie, it doesn't even come out for two and a half, three years. And it's already got hundreds of thousands of followers across all socials because we took the time and energy to build up and start producing and uh, uh, supporting it with content on all of its socials and platforms and inside of our apps 
so that people are going, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this community. I want to live here. No one wants to be a part of your community unless they see that your community brings them value, right? And so you've got to first be providing that value and that can take a long time. It can be very painful. It can be very exhausting. Um, but as you iterate and do that, people will start to show up. Yeah. Is there something that comes to mind when you look at all the projects that you guys have succeeded at partnering with? Are there some things that come to mind uh, that all those projects have in common with each other? Um, you know, all of them, all of them follow our, our North Star, our mission, which is to amplify light, which is something they all have in common. Um, but all of them, I think, also have um, a willingness and a desire to listen to their audience, right? Um, I've seen that with those creators across the board. Now, no one's perfect at it, and we all we all make mistakes. But, but the reality is, is I see those creators come in. You know, you look at Dallas Jenkins. His his the Shepherd in the TV series The Chosen. It wasn't even called The Chosen at the time. Had been rejected by all the major studios. No one wanted it. And he, had, he came in humbled from failing uh, multiple times on on different projects. And, uh, and he was humble and in that state where he was just like, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to solve this problem where I haven't been able to solve. And one of the big things that Angel does is that we connect creators and storytellers directly to their audience. So, you know, an, an example of this not happening inside the industry or in the film and entertainment industry is when you look at um, the really kind of the 90s, 2000s and 2010s, there's been this um, effort by the major studios to hijack the uh, the brand dominance. And what I mean by that is, is back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, people knew who Frank Capra were, Peter Jackson, you know, George Lucas. You knew Spielberg, like people knew who the creators were and the studios were there as well, but they kind of had a more symbiotic relationship. Well, that's changed to where the studios ha distribution you know, the content is king, but distribution is the queen that is also the neck that controls everything, right? Good stuff, right? I told you this episode was full of so much wisdom and vision. And I know, I mean, just me personally, if I'm selfish, I'm already starting to think about and implement in the way that I approach and do my work as a result of this conversation. I hope that you were able to do the same. And hey, if you're looking for more information about the Wing Feather Saga, don't miss its upcoming release. It's happening very soon. It is super cool. You can learn more at wingfeathersaga.com. Wingfeathersaga.com. And if you're curious to learn more about the innovative stuff that Angel Studios is up to, check them out. Angel.com. A-N-G-E-L.com. It's really fun to see how they're helping more great art get out into the world, more great stories, find the people that they're supposed to find, the audiences that they're made for, and perhaps even get your art and stories out there in the process. So check them out. Once again, I'm your host, Harris III. I'm so grateful that you joined today's episode of The Story Podcast. Make sure to follow along, submit those positive ratings and reviews, and be on the lookout for some new stuff that Story and The Story Podcast has coming up in the very near future. We've been keeping it under wraps for a while. I can't wait to tell you more about that and what we have up our sleeve for the next season. Until then, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this community. Keep telling stories that matter.
The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.